is expecting you. Hello! Welcome to Thoughts from Aunt Wu, the Avatar podcast where we know the future. Today we will be discussing Book 3, Episode 9, Nightmares and Daydreams. A couple of notes before we begin. Fortunately, we had some audio issues with the initial recording for this, so I am re-recording this by myself. We will not have our lovely panelists as per usual. You will be just listening to me. This is unfortunate, but I think that for this episode, an episode that I have very strong opinions on, there might be some interesting things to come with that. With that said, we will be back with our normal panelists with the invasion coming up soon. So let's get right into this. And I suppose rather than kicking it to someone else, I will give my initial thoughts. So I go into watching this episode as I think this is the worst episode in the entire series. And I watch this episode and stand by it. I think this episode is really, really bad. And made even worse with where it's placed in between Puppet Master, this dark, almost gritty, really bizarre episode, and then into the invasion, our our mid-season movie. And I just... I just don't understand how this happened. For a show that is really prides itself, I think, on a combination of strong but subtle storytelling, diving into issues in ways that are real, this episode is just a complete and total miss for me. It is, in every way, failing to capture what it should be. Because at its core, the basic premise of this episode Aang is freaking out about the invasion is great. It's a really interesting dive into the psyche of a character who I have often criticized for at times not having maybe enough of a, of a character struggle. And in this episode, we it, what we're what the point is is to to show us that no, no, Aang is Aang is a person. Aang has feelings. Aang has fears like us all. And yet they just. Again, they totally miss the mark with with the degree of comedy that they're that they play in this episode, and some of it just going as we get into it comes from the beginning of of book three. Now, I've spent you know the last you know several several months talking about book three and how much I don't particularly like Aang in the first uh, half of of this book where he's just a nothing there's he doesn't he doesn't make any decisions I mean the entire first half of the book is just like okay we're gonna have Sokka off with a master or we're gonna have Katara potentially training with someone new we have this whole plot about Toph and 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 the and the runaway we you know even the Aang focused episode of of um where he goes to school is really just kind of a one-off, I don't want to say filler episode, but kind of just like this thing about exploring the Fire Nation in the headband. And we just don't see that much. And for all of this to come about right here in this episode is I think really like right off the bat the problem. You could have played this out, this whole plot line of Aang really freaking out throughout the throughout the book and and made it work. But instead, it's just like entirely backloaded into this enti- into this singular episode, and I think that that's a problem. I think that this is kind of gets at something I talked about towards the end of of book two, with their every once in a while they decide to sort of place the entirety of a plot line within a single episode when they probably could have played it out over 
over a few. And this is just a great example of that. Now, I understand that maybe you should be reading this as, well, Aang was completely putting the invasion out of his mind until, until this moment. But I don't feel like that's touched on explicitly. I think that you could have, if you were going to go this route for, okay, we're going to have this one episode that's about Aang's psyche. What you should have done is had little moments, little subtle hints throughout the last, you know, three or four episodes with Aang kind of ignoring preparation for the invasion, being very nonchalant about it, essentially saying, I'm I'm not going to think about that. It's so far away. I don't need to think about it. And then have it hit them in this, in this one moment. But because you don't have that, it just feels like, and you've done nothing. You've done nothing for this entire book, and suddenly you're completely freaked out? I'm not saying it's not, like, I get it. I understand a little of what they're doing, but I just, for me, it doesn't, it doesn't work as an initial thought because you're just bringing, you're bringing so much into this one episode, but then they never, they never try to it. So let's just get in, and, and I'll talk about all of the Yang stuff first, and then then talk about Zuko um, in the second half. And I just think, first and foremost, I can't stand the fact that they play this "you're not wearing any pants" trope as as a thing. It doesn't make sense within the context of the world, and it's also true in the second nightmare when when Ang has a, a mathematics test. This doesn't make sense. I understand that for this is kind of the classic child nightmare you show up to school without your pants on or you show up to school and realize you have a a test you haven't studied for but that makes no sense in the context of this world i mean ang didn't go to school at least in the traditional sense he went to school in the fire nation for a couple days but that was not a formative part of his of his experience the air we don't know that much about the air nation but i don't think they had traditional schools that you were showing up to and could in theory show up without pants on that doesn't that's a a uniquely modern industrialized world of you go to school monday through friday in a very institutionalized setting which doesn't make any sense for ang and for ang in this moment to have these nightmares now I know that that's, that's not the point. They're not, if this isn't some kind of deep exploration of, oh, there actually are schools. This is just, they wanted to make this joke and, you know, they figured this is a way to, to make Aang, I guess, relatable to, to, to children who have, you know, who are exposed to this, this trope of, um, of a nightmare. But it just, it just doesn't work for me because it's not, it's just not in the, in the context of this world, it doesn't make sense. And for, for Avatar, which, does such a great job throughout its run as building this holistic world that feels totally real and totally lived in where the culture of the earth kingdom feels fundamentally different from the fire nation which feels fundamentally different from the water tribe where you can walk into a place like omashu and just see how this world this city doesn't exist without earthbending and i love all that stuff and for this to kind of go like the most boring tropes of not wearing pants and he has a math test again like that's not it doesn't make sense it does not make it completely breaks the world for me that this is how like it works and i just i don't know i i that really bothers me again because this should be interesting this should be this really cool or really interesting dive into ang's psyche and it's just like he's stressed and he's afraid 
Oh, the Fire Nation, which, okay, totally understandable, totally reasonable things for him to, to believe, but they don't go anywhere with it. It's just like he's stressed, so he has nightmares, and his nightmares don't mean anything because they're this relying on this this trope um, of our of essentially our world, and I I just I don't know I, I want I want more I want I want something else to it. There's the one nightmare when he sees his friends dying, uh, essentially is the one that I think is effective. It's the one that I think okay I get this is the whole point. Ang is genuinely concerned about his friends. He's worried that he he is going to let them down and they are going to pay the price. They they could could die. And you could certainly focus on that. But for Ang to start screaming, Sokka, climb that climb that cliff. Too far. Toph, don't drink that. What if you have to go to the bathroom? Or Katara, change your hair. To me, these are again, I they're they're meant to be Ang is just completely losing his mind. That's the the point. But again, I, I just think that this is where you could have done something something interesting. You could have Ang saying to them, I want to do this alone. I don't want you guys to come there. What if I fail? What if you guys get hurt in the process? What if, you know, I, I am resorted, you know, to, to, I don't want to put you guys in danger. You could do that route and that could be interesting. You could certainly have him go after them on much more legitimate grounds, like legitimately talk about maybe some of the faults that they have. You know, you do see throughout this that that, that Sokka is supremely overconfident. And, and you could have certainly have a moment where Aang like goes at him in a way that's that's like actually I'm not saying hurtful but actually hits home and is actually like him noticing a real point but Sokka you need to climb something because what if you have to climb something and you get caught like that's not there's nothing there's nothing interesting about it it's just you can read it exclusively as Ang is freaking out and that's the entire thing that it means and I've talked so much on this show about the way that this series has really mastered the art of the subtlety and double meaning that when they when they write a line they're not just thinking about the the initial thought of the line they're thinking about how that whole thing works together the the dual meaning i go back to the inspiration for this podcast um the uh the fortune teller with the the moment of Aang with Aang giving the necla- a necklace to to Katara, and it's meant in this episode to sort of set up that okay, this is a romantic episode between Aang and Katara, and and we should think about that. But it also serves this other purpose of reminding you that Katara has lost her necklace, so that in one episode later in Batu of the Water Tribe, you remember, oh yeah, Katara doesn't have her necklace anymore because that's going to become a major a major plot point. And this is a great example where you could have. You could have done that. This scene plays out so much better if Aang is making actual legitimate points about the unpreparedness of his friends, but doing so in a way that is disconnected from reality because of his freaking out. But instead, it's played entirely for laughs. It's played entirely to be like, Aang is being ridiculous. This is like crazy. And I I just okay, but you've already sold me on that. Throughout this episode, you have him having nightmares, you have him having these, you know, crazy, you know, these crazy thoughts. I I just think that with the limited time they have, because as, you know, we're going to get to the end, there's just very little resolution to all this. It's just not necessary. So if you're going to, you're going to go this route, 
center on that, really center on Aang having fear about his friends, as opposed to making it clear that those fears are totally unfounded. I think that's, you know, talking it through, I think that's what I'm saying, that because the things that he is saying to Katara, Toph, and Sokka are so ridiculous, they come off as non-issues, that they we shouldn't even care about them. It, it, it comes off as Aang is just, you know, being crazy. But he's not crazy to care about his friends. He should be somewhat worried. The invasion is a really big deal. And I think that for whatever reason, I think, I guess my real gripe throughout this episode is how it really comes off as they're playing it that he shouldn't be freaking out, that the invasion isn't that big a deal. This isn't going to be a, a, a game changer for the world when it is. And that's not to say Aang should be, you know, could, shouldn't be able to sleep. Uh, Aang should certainly be able to find some degree of support, especially from his friends. But by trivializing Aang's concerns to this degree through pure comedy, you remove some of the the tension. It, it takes away the, the tension from it and makes it purely like, ha ha ha, Aang, Aang who that Aang kid being really funny. And then you, you get right into Aang's interaction you know the, the rest of the gang trying to to cheer him up and once again i just think this com- this stuff completely misses the mark like okay Katara's like let's do some yoga i think the yoga one is probably the most the most effective as it does make sense for for her although it probably should be tai chi just considering she's a waterbender but whatever that's not that big a deal at least that one feels genuinely legitimate like okay she's going to do these stretching exercises in you know in essentially a sauna and Hopefully that's going to help him relieve some stress. That that one plays pretty well, but the Sokka and Toph ones are just like embarrassing. Like you have Sokka just like pretending to be a therapist that also doesn't make any sense because I don't really think that Sokka has encountered a therapist in this world. There certainly weren't any of them in the Southern Water Tribe, so I'm a little bit unsure about what that is, other than just being like making fun of therapy, which maybe we shouldn't do in the first place. But like. Sokka's not an idiot. Like, Sokka should be significantly more aware of Aang having legitimate concerns. And especially when, in the next episode, Sokka is going to have moments where he's going to actually confront essentially the same thing. His own feelings of of inadequacy. That his, his failure to be able to speak in public and eventually his need to take over the invasion and... and move forward and then eventually in the boiling rock i mean him straight up confronting it and saying you know confronting the ideas of his failures within the invasion itself for him to have essentially nothing to say other than do you want to scream into this pillow it's just like what Sokka is keenly aware of of the pressure that you're under for this for this moment and to have nothing to say i'm not saying he should be able to solve it i mean in theory he's, he's not actually a trained therapist and you know, it would be great if, if Aang could actually talk to a professional. It's not really possible within this universe. But at the end of the day, like, Sokka should have something better to say than, do you want to scream into this sheep? And tell me how that makes you feel. Like, Sokka should, again, I'm not saying he should know what to say, but at least have some degree of compassion for his friend. And then the tough one, once again, is played entirely for laughs, where it's like, all right, I'm going to do this backpounding. Okay, that's, I guess, a thing. But clearly it's way too hard and doesn't accomplish anything and it's inadequate and it's like really again like i understand Toph's probably the 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 least equipped to handle this this situation but again like why why do we need to play it entirely for comedy 
Can we can we have one just a little bit, you know, a little more of this that's actually played straight and played reasonable? And that, like, to me is to me is important. This also gets to the uh, Katara and Aang part of this episode, and man, do I hate this one. Guys, don't do fake outs like this. Don't do the let's have characters who we all know eventually are going to get together, kiss, and then it turns out it was a hallucination or a dream. I, I hate that. I hate that trope. It's really annoying. It's just like, why is this here? What is this accomplishing? They are going to kiss next week, so like, whatever. And I just, like, it doesn't, once again, it doesn't really center on anything. It's just like, okay, Ang, yes, Ang wants this, this to happen, but like, it almost, it just feels like, let's do a fake out because it's funny, and then, baby, you're my forever girl. I, I do like the line. It is kind of funny, but, like, I don't know. Like, what do you, what does that need? What does that accomplish? What does that tell you, tell us about Aang's character in this moment? That, like, he's daydreaming about Katara. Okay, that, I guess, yes, I can see that that's probably something that he does on a, a relatively regular basis, but... What does that mean in the context of all of, of all of this? Because it comes before Aang has received any greater understanding about the situation. This is not like, okay, we do this after Aang has sort of come to realize what's important. It's just like, let's throw a hallucination in and wouldn't it be funny if Aang and Katara kiss and we get to have this funny line and then actually it didn't happen and he's totally freaking out. I don't know as like it just i don't think it's necessary i I don't think it adds anything and once again in an episode where you're trying to shove a ton of information about ang's character like we just don't have time like it just we just don't have time for it in all honesty and then the final the sort of the, the big famous thing from this the key moment where momo and appa speak and then eventually fight all right it's funny i do think it's kind of entertaining that the sheep chanting their names are do does bring a smile to my face and like okay i'm not i'm not gonna spend like i'm not gonna shit on this for a while because i don't like it's not the worst thing ever it's a hallucination it is funny if the rest of this episode was better i probably wouldn't hate this stuff as much with that being said one of the popular both theories and i think that they've come out and said that at least this is something they've that was talked about that um Momo was meant to be the a reincarnation of, of Monk Kiazzo. And this is a perfect moment where that could have been explored. This is a great moment where uh, Momo talks. And not to, you know, jump on the Harry Potter thing that we all we often do, but, you know, for an episode that is essentially taking place entirely in Aang's head, whether or not Momo actually is a reincarnation of Kiazzo is essentially immaterial here. Whether it happens in Aang's head... That's real enough for me. This is a great moment where how about have Momo be the voice of the Air Nation, be the voice of, of Aang's mentor, and sort of speak to him in a way that that can op- maybe open the door for this. You have this like you have this moment where Momo is speaking, and eventually Appa as well. Appa, the you know Aang's guardian, the 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 thing you know the the being that he is closest with, the one that provides him with with comfort. And rather than using this to their advantage, using this to sort of really break down Aang's character and have, you know, essentially his two most visceral connections to the air, to, to airbenders, to the air temple, to his initial home and to safety, what represent, you know, really does represent safety to him. 
they don't use it at all. There's nothing interesting about this. There's, you could take this out of the episode and nothing changes other than we lose this really comedic moment of Appa and Momo sword fighting in Aang's hallucinations. But nothing about this happens. There's no, like, Momo is not actually saying, doesn't say anything particularly profound. And then they start fighting for essentially no reason. And, like, again, what a wasted opportunity. This is the, the, the time you're going to have Appa and Momo speak. Again, really important things to hang, and you just do nothing. I just, I can't, I can't understand how you don't use this moment for something deeper. And instead, again, it's just, this entire episode is played for laughs. I don't know why. I don't know why this episode of all, the one right before the invasion, the one that's maybe the most explicit dive into Aang's psyche is played entirely for laughs. Then we get to the ending, and Aang is freaking out, Aang is freaking out, and finally they decide to talk to him, and it takes not even 15 seconds for Katara to say, I believe in you, I've known you for, you know, I know you've been preparing this for a long time, you're smart enough, you can handle it, Sokka and, and Toph say you can handle it, and everything's fine and Aang's good, and that's it nothing else there's no like legit it's just like over and it's like really like that's it this is like supposed to be a really big deal which again like what they are communicating to us as an audience is that this isn't a big deal by having it end so abruptly within one episode just instantaneously it's telling the audience this was not that big a deal ang was never that impacted it was really just comedy, and we shouldn't worry about it. And why? Why are you shying away from your main character having an emotional understanding of who he is? I don't get it. I don't get why that is. And for me, like, you're talking about why is this the worst episode? Is this, you know, when you compare this to, say, Great Divide or, or Appa's Lost Days, the two episodes I'm, I'm kind of the most down on um, before this, like... Great Divide is just kind of a relatively boring filler episode. It's fine, whatever. It doesn't doesn't hurt the series. It doesn't really do anything. There's nothing about the inherent conflict between the Zhangs and the Ganjins that make me, like, wish it was anything else. It just, it is what it is. Appa's Lost Days, I have real problems with. I think it's a pretty boring episode. I think that it, it doesn't do anything interesting. And, and there's definitely more in the missed opportunity there. But for me, this is definitely the biggest missed opportunity to do something interesting. And, you know, as we barrel forward into The Legend of Korra, and I'm going to talk a lot about how much I think I prefer Korra's arc to Aang's, this is a great episode for why. For just, they just, they shied away from Aang in probably his most, or second most vulnerable moment, and were not willing to actually go for it. And I just, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why that, I don't get why they did that. All right, let's transition over to the inside of the Fire Nation Palace to talk about Zuko, who is having a relatively similar experience. And I will say, for all I just said about Aang, the Zuko stuff works better. I'm not going to say that it's great, but at least it is engaging with the ideas that, they are supposed to. It is attempting to in fundamentally engage 
with Zuko's character and what the decision that he is about to make. First of all, one thing I have to say, I talked about this during the beach, and I was like, I don't understand how Azula and Zuko can go unnoticed. And then we see Zuko being mobbed by his adoring fans within the palace. And I know technically, yes, you're in within the capital versus not. However, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever that the crown prince and princess of the Fire Nation could walk into a upper crust party and they wouldn't be recognized. That doesn't make sense. And this episode shows me that it literally just doesn't make any sense. It's not that big a deal. I'm not going to harp, harp on plot holes. But, guys, seriously, that one was a little weird. That being said, this is probably the most explicit Zuko and May um, episode. And while I'm not... I don't have a huge opinion on, on Zuko and May. I think there are moments where they're they're a pr- relatively good couple and, and moments when they're when they're not... This episode is probably the worst for it. And back when we did record it, uh, initially Corey really harped on this, how much he hated May in this episode, especially their relationship. And I'm not, I don't necessarily disagree with him. I think May like acts in a pretty weird way throughout this episode. And at times like really doesn't get Zuko, Um, you know, her lines, you know, sort of just about like using the power that Zuko as crown prince has over servants, essentially just for the, the sake of it. It's like, not exactly, like, that's not Zuko. I will say I do think some of this has to do with the fact that, you know, May has interacted a lot more, especially a lot more recently with Azula, who is like that. And I think that, you know, on some level she may be projecting a little bit the sort of what she thinks, you know, Zuko would be like as opposed to what he actually is like. And you can probably read into a little bit that Zuko probably was, you know, is slightly changed since the end of his journey um as opposed to the beginning although from what we've seen of his childhood it does seem like he was a pretty good person back then anyway but you know it's it is something to it but at least throughout this you you do get to see that that Zuko is 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 continuing to as as he has throughout this entire book struggle with the the position he's in and the one line in this entire episode the I was you know I was the perfect the perfect prince my my dad always wanted, but I wasn't me. That's that's the one line in this episode that's that's really good. I mean, it's incredibly explicit. It's very on the nose. It's 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 getting right at the point. But this is this is Zuko's philosophy, uh, psychology. This is what he feels. He feels disconnected from who he was, you know, who he is, the the person he became throughout his traveling, especially of the Earth Kingdom within Book Two, and as a result just can't go back to being the perfect prince he can't go back to being the fire nation and considering he's about to make the the ultimate decision to to turn his back on his father and his nation you know it is it is nice that we actually get to see this and again does that you know sort of really even reflect even poorer on the the yang side of this that it's that it's like well at least you know with zuko they understood the gravity and actually toyed with his psychology yes that said, I'm not, like, going to gush about the Zuko stuff. It's pretty limited and, like, at times a little bit too on the nose. You know, you go right into this war meeting, which, again, is kind of weird because you had the war meeting during the beach that they essentially had Azula and Zuko kicked off for. So there is some weird mixed messages about exactly what role Zuko and, I guess, Azula to some extent are playing within the sort of military structure within this. 
I also wish we actually got to see some of that meeting, you know, you talk about show, don't tell, like it would have been nice to actually see Zuko. I suppose we eventually will see this within, you know, I assume that this meeting is the one in which they, they bring up the plan to burn down the earth kingdom with, during the comment. Um, and at least, you know, so at least eventually we will, we will get to see the, the context of it. I think within this, when this, within this episode, it, it, it would have been nice to just have a little bit, a little bit more meat on this bone. You know, I, this is, I guess, somewhat I'm saying, like cut out a couple of the dumb ang nightmares about math tests and replace it with a little bit more meat on this Zuko bone. And that would, you know, probably solve, you know, that would at least solve the Zuko side of this. Again, I'm not going to, I don't want to harp on this too long. I think the Zuko stuff is, is certainly the strongest part of this episode. And I'm at least willing to give them credit for, for, for doing something. That said, you know, it's not, it's definitely not the best. This is definitely not the best look at, at Zuko's character, you know, compare this to the storm, um, even the beach, you know, there's just better, there's just better stuff in, again, Zuko is a great character, so it's not, you know, it's not surprising that he has a, a several episodes that are going to dive into, obviously Zuko alone, you know, not to mention that, um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. So yeah, this was going to be, you know, this was going to be a short one, just kind of me, me ranting for a little bit, um, you know, kind of funny that the one that we had to, I had to do by myself was kind of the literal worst episode in the, in the series. Um, at least by by my opinion. So yeah, final thoughts and rating. I, I you know I've said my final thoughts throughout all of this. I think this episode is a, is a huge missed opportunity and uh, definitely the biggest disappointment within the show. Um, and for that, it's it's the weakest episode in the show. This is this is this is not this is not great. This is one of the few episodes I would genuinely recommend not watching if you're if you're watching this series. So I'll give this a three point five out of ten, firmly in the realm of of, of not good. I'm not going to say it's terrible. It's not a one. It's not a, you know, it's not a zero, not a one. It's not even a two. You know, it's definitely like, you know, in that below average, not good realm. It, it definitely doesn't progress into the realm of bad. You know, it, it looks nice. And the, you know, there, at least there is one or two funny moments. The, the, the Appa fight is pretty funny. The, there is some Zuko stuff to like here, but at the end of the day, you know, huge missed opportunity is what it is. Shows are going to have, have these once in a while. But, you know, as we, we move forward, we're going to move on to, to the invasion and then a, a pretty straight shot to the end. So coming up uh, coming up on the end of this uh, series. So thank you guys for uh, tuning in, and we'll be, be back soon with the invasion. <laughs>